Father, we just thank you for the blood of Jesus. We thank you, Father, for the ministry of the Spirit of God. We thank you, Father, for all of the things that you've done so far this weekend. And Father, I thank you in advance for everything that you will do this afternoon and tomorrow morning. For Father, you are at work in the earth. Oh, Father, you are on the move. And Father, I just pray for all of us that we would have ears to hear what the Spirit of God is saying unto us. Oh, Father, that we could know you. That we could perceive your voice. That we could rise up in our inner man and be all that you called us to be. Oh, Father, we just, we, there's a cry in our spirits this morning to be all that you called us to be, to be maximized in our life, in our gifts, in our talents, in our abilities, to do all that you've called us to do and not leave this earth. Father, but leave it having left all on the court, given all for you, with no regrets, no sense of regret or remorse, but knowing in our spirits that we finished the work you called us to do. As the great Apostle Paul said, I have fought the good fight. I have kept the faith. And I have finished my course. Father, I pray over each and every one of these dear saints that this is a room full of finishers. And I declare they are finishing their course in God. That they are running the race with endurance and with patience. And they're hearing from heaven. And there's a knowing in their spirit. And they understand why there is breath in their body right now, today, this week, next month, this coming year, and Father, until we're out of here. Oh, Father, we just thank you for that divine ability, the anointing of the Holy Ghost that's resident within our spirits, Father. Oh, we just thank you that we're not running this race alone, but you are with us. You are in us and you are for us. So, Father, we just open up our hearts this afternoon. We open up our minds. Father, we just desire to hear from heaven. And, Father, I pray, as Paul prayed, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, would give unto each and every one of us today the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened, that we would know, that we would know, that we would know, that we would know what is the hope of our calling, And what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And Father, that we would know what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe. According to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. Far above, far above 
all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but in that which is to come. Oh, Father, how can we be depressed? How can we be down? Hallelujah. We are the blood-bought, Holy Ghost-filled church of the living God. Not the dead God. The living God. And Father, you made a way to live in us. Oh, we love you. And we dedicate and consecrate our lives unto your plans, unto your purposes. It's all about you, Lord. It's all about you. And Father, I know you know the names of every person, not only in this building, but will ever hear this through any type of media. You know their names. You know how many hairs are upon their heads. You've seen their end from the beginning. You've seen the end of their race. You know where they are right now. You know what kind of breakthroughs are required in every life right now. And Father, we're just so thankful that you're, one of your names is Baal Perazim, the Lord of the breakthrough. And Father, I declare that all of us together collectively as a body, the body of Christ, are breaking through into the next season that you have for us. Hallelujah. I pray it be a season of visitation where you visit your people and you reveal yourself. Hallelujah. So, Father, we prayed it. We believe it that the spirit of wisdom and revelation is here today and that we will not leave the same as when we came in this morning for divine deposits from heaven will have been made in our spirit some not to be realized for weeks after this weekend but they're there (laughs) oh father what a joy What a joy it is to know you and to walk with you and to be a part of your plan. So, Father, we just have asked and we thank you for it. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray and everybody said. Amen. Amen. Well, you may be seated. Hallelujah. It is such a delight to be with you all. I want to thank you for coming out on a weekend and investing your time in the kingdom of God. I believe we're sowing to the Spirit this weekend. And those are eternal seeds. I'm so thankful for your pastors. We've gotten to know them, and I want to just echo what Gina said yesterday. We love your pastors. We love your heart. We love the spirit that's on you in this body. We feel at home here. Feels like family. Thank God for the family of God. 
And I've got a lot to get through this afternoon, so pastor said I have as much time as I require, so I figure about 5 o'clock we'll be done. <laughs> no, we're going to get done in, in due time. But I do have a message on my heart this afternoon. Gene and I teach a lot on prayer. We've done many prayer conferences. And as I prepared for this afternoon, you know, I've got a notebook this thick on prayer. And the Lord began to speak to me about a message I've never done. Maybe parts of it, bits of it here or there. But I just felt the Holy Spirit nudging me to teach on the prayer of intercession. And we're going to get there momentarily. But I have a couple of scriptures I'd like to launch from. Hallelujah. James chapter 5 and verse 16. If you would turn there, please. And I encourage you to follow me this afternoon in, my, in your Bible. Is there anyone here that doesn't have a Bible with them? Um, I believe there's some back in that corner. Could, could you just grab it? I would like you to follow me if you could. Perhaps not every scripture we turn to. But there's something about reading the scriptures in your Bible. I don't know about you, but when I like to read on my tablet, but I retain much better when I when I can read it off of a piece of paper. And I don't know why that is, and maybe that's peculiar to me. But I just want to encourage you to to grab your Bible this afternoon if you can. James chapter five and verse sixteen. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for. I want you to look at this word for, F-O-R. All throughout this message this afternoon, we're going to be talking and we're going to be running across this word for, F-O-R. And every time you see it in your Bible, I would like you to either underline it or circle it do whatever you have to do to mark that word where it speaks of praying for somebody else because that's what this message is all about today, praying for somebody else. And it says here, pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And I like what the Amplified Bible says. It says, making tremendous power available. Do you believe that when you pray, that your prayers change things? Do you believe that your words change things? Absolutely. When we're praying effectively, it says the fervent, effectual prayer of a righteous man avails much. Look at that word effective. Boy, we're all about that as believers. We want to live effective lives for God. And we're all about that as prayers. We want our prayer life to be effective. We don't want to, you know, have a treadmill be a picture of our prayer life where we're just expending a lot of energy but not getting anywhere. 
And I don't know about you, but I spent years of my Christian life with a very, very limited prayer life and a very, very limited vocabulary where the Word of God is concerned in my prayer life. But God, He's always taken us from one degree to another. And He wants to expand our spiritual vocabulary. He wants to expand our spiritual understanding. There is the language of redemption. And as believers, we learn how to speak that language. And not only speak it, we learn how to live it. But thank God we can do one additional thing. We can learn how to pray with that language effectively. The root word under this word effectual is energeo. It means to be active. It means to be efficient. That's a good picture for our prayer life, isn't it? Active and efficient. It's taken from two um, Greek root words that are really broken down into N, E-N, which means praying from a fixed position in place, time, or state. And then the last part, ergon, to work or toil or as an effort or occupation. So I love that where prayer is concerned. We're praying from a fixed location in Christ. And we're working at, we're praying as effectively as we can, but it's, it's called an occupation. What is an occupation? It's what you get up and do every day, five days a week, right? You get up and that's, that's what you do. You go to a party and you're visiting with someone, they ask you, what do you do? They're asking, what is your job in the earth? What is your occupation? But for all of us, Prayer should be an occupation. It should be something we think about. And today, I'll just give you the takeaway. I always, you know, wait till the end for the takeaway. But I'm giving you the takeaway at the beginning so you can be thinking about it all the way through. It's the one thing I want you to take away from this message. There'll be other things. But I want you to to take this away with you today that every day to be mindful to pray for others. We're always praying about our own stuff. And that is a right, you know, it's right to do that. Thank God God has given us all of the equipment, all of the spiritual equipment that is required to run our race, to meet the needs of our lives and our families. But my life took a left-hand turn or a right-hand turn, whatever you call it, when I got introduced to praying for other people. And I'm going to talk about this this afternoon. But I thank God that he is leading us on a path where we are learning things about prayer. We're praying and learning things while we're praying on how to be more and more effective in our prayer life. The devil hates effective prayer. He hates effective prayers. He hates praying churches because they are the ones primarily doing damage to his kingdom. So he will find ways 
to put a hand up and try and stop individual believers from growing and advancing in their prayer life. He'll do it to, to churches. But thank God we can rise above all of that junk and just keep our eyes on Jesus and run our race with patience and keep going from strength to strength and from glory to glory. One more launching scripture, and then we'll get into our message. Ephesians chapter 6. It's very difficult to teach prayer without going by this scripture because there is so much in it. But I just want to briefly look at Ephesians 6.18 as we get ready to go today. After Paul taught us how to put on the armor of God, and having done all to stand and to stand therefore. He says, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. What's the next word? Praying. Praying. Now we're equipped to prayer. And I'll just throw this in for free this afternoon. You think about the entire book of Ephesians, one of the most mature books written in the Bible. It doesn't correct anything. There's no correction. It says, it's like someone said, it's as though Paul when he was writing the book of Ephesians, ascended up into heaven and saw the body of Christ from God's perspective. And we know the first three chapters talk about who we are. The last three chapters tell us how to live and what to do, how to walk in that knowledge. But at the very end of all of this, this this fabulous book, one of my favorite books in all of the Bible, He gets down to this, praying always with all prayer and supplication. How? In the Spirit. Being watchful to this end. Here's that word again. With all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Now, some translations say, where it says all, all prayer, they say all kinds of prayer or all manner of prayer. And I don't intend to teach on all different kinds of prayer, but I'm just going to mention them right now. Depending on how you divide them up, there's approximately 10 different kinds of prayer that we understand. There is the prayer of worship. There is the prayer of dedication and consecration patterned after Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane that we all do as believers. We pray, not my will, but thy will be done. Isn't that right? We have the prayer of casting our cares upon the Lord. Of course, the prayer of faith. We live our life with that, don't we? The prayer of faith. There's prayer in the Spirit or prayer in praying in tongues. There's the prayer of supplication and petition. There's the prayer of agreement found in Matthew 18. There's the prayer of binding and loosing found in Matthew 16. There's united or corporate prayer found in Acts chapter 4. All of these are kinds or types of prayers that as we grow in God should be integrated into our prayer life. And about half of them are vertical. They're the kinds of prayers we pray to God the Father. 
the prayer of dedication and consecration, the prayer of worship, the prayer of casting our cares on the Lord. They're what I call vertical kinds of praying. But then there's another kind of praying, another level of praying altogether where these kinds of prayers change things. And God designed it that way for believers to be equipped with prayer equipment to change things in the earth. We didn't read it in Ephesians 6, but Paul said, Now finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. So we see that word against five times in that one verse. And Paul's making it very clear to this mature body that there are forces arrayed against us. You think about it. We have, we have spiritual influences that we as believers are subject to. We have God. Would you say God is a spiritual influence? We have the devil on the dark side, spiritual influence. We have angels. Thank God for angels. Amen? And we have demons, all spirits in that unseen realm Gina talked about. So we're under this spiritual influence. But man is a spirit. We're spiritual beings. That's who we really are. I am a spirit. I have a soul. I live in a physical body. So I am a spiritual being subject to and under spiritual influence. This side, the devil and demons, is against me and against God. This side is God my Father, the family that I live in. This is, this is my family. And sometimes you see teenagers getting rebellious and they run away from their family. And it rarely turns out good. Sometimes you watch about their story on Dateline. It ends up really bad. Right? So every day we have a choice of what we are going to, to look at, to be aware of, to be influenced by. And God is always there 24-7. We always have our Bible. We always have the Holy Ghost. We always have Christ in us, the hope of glory. So 24-7, we have godly influence available to us to turn our eyes to. And as we do that, we are so equipped to stand against the works of darkness. And if we do nothing, what does it take to backslide? Nothing. Just do nothing. <laughs> if we do nothing, these forces are going to infiltrate our lives through what we're seeing on TV, what we're hearing, even news reports, violence. The spirit on those things will get in you. But thank God we can look to God and the Spirit of God can get in us. And we can be influenced by Him. And we can be used as weapons in the hands of God as human beings, spirit beings in the earth with the breath of God in our body, regenerated human spirits, given authority to stand in the earth, 
Jesus said in Luke 10, 19, Behold, I have given you authority to advance. That's Weiss translation. I have given you authority to advance by setting foot on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. One time Gina was preaching a few years ago and she said this by the Spirit of God. And she said, heal on head. Heal on the head of the devil. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. If darkness is invading your life or your family or your children or your body or your circumstances or your finances, you are well equipped to stand against it. And you can do something about it. We don't have to be victims in this earth. Jesus didn't spill his precious blood for us, for us to live down here as victims under the circumstances. No. Jesus went to the cross and identified with us in our sins that we might be identified with him in his glory. And he didn't open his mouth in Isaiah 53 so that we can open our mouth. So we can stand against the works of the devil. Like I said, it's very difficult to start teaching on prayer without visiting Romans or Ephesians 6. There's so much in it. You could do a year seminar on Ephesians 6. But praying always with all prayer. You remember we were talking about all kinds of prayer. I listed nine, but there's one more. It's called the prayer of intercession. This is the prayer. It's a prayer to change things. It's a prayer to change circumstances. It's a prayer where you're standing in the gap between God and the person or the circumstances that you are praying for. And I began afresh two days ago with a blank sheet of notes. And I just let the Holy Spirit lay this down in my heart the way I want. I said, Lord, give it to me the way you want me to give it to those that are hearing. And this is what he led me to do. I'd like you to turn in your Bible to Ezekiel chapter 22 and verse 30. Ezekiel chapter 22 and verse 30. This is God. He's saying, so I sought for a man. I mean that phrase right right there alone. I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land. So here's God. He's, he's looking for a man that's going to stand in the gap before him, not for a person, although the persons are represented in the word land, but he's talking about a place, a land, his, his place, his land. And notice these words, to stand in the gap on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it. Think about that. But what's the last phrase of this verse? Let's say it together. Let's say it again. But I found no one. 
You remember Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. He had his disciples with him. What were they doing? They're falling asleep. God is saying, I've found no one. Now, Gina quoted John Wesley this morning. And he said this, It seems that God can do nothing for mankind unless someone asks him. Now, you notice John Wesley didn't say, It is written in the Bible that God can do nothing. This is, this is his opinion. He said it seems out of his life experience at the time he wrote that, his understanding of prayer and God was, it seems that God can do nothing for mankind unless someone asks him to do it. Now, let's think about this. If that is true, And after my 30 years of walking in God, in this family of God, in this part of the body of Christ, I agree with that. And we don't have time to do a a comprehensive message on the believer's authority, but that's that's really answered. How did God make man in the beginning? Genesis chapter 1, he gave them dominion. He made them to have dominion and authority in the earth. What did they do? They sinned. They gave it away to the devil. When Jesus was tempted by the devil for 40 days, and I believe it's Luke chapter 4, the devil came to Jesus when Jesus had spent 40 days in the desert and he began to tempt Jesus. And what was one of the temptations? He said, I will give you this authority that's been given to me if you will do this. And Jesus didn't challenge him because it was a true saying. From the days of Adam and Eve in the garden to that moment, the devil had been given authority. But what the devil didn't know was what Jesus knew. (laughs) Because Adam was what Paul called the first Adam, Jesus knew he was the second Adam, the second federal head of the human race. And when Adam and Eve made a decision in the garden, they made a decision to do something that would affect all mankind. But thank God, Jesus did something in a garden. He made a decision in a garden. And his decision would cause him to do something that would affect all mankind forever. He went to the cross. He became the second Adam, the second federal head of the human race. And what did he do? He secured salvation for all of us. He stood in the gap. I mean, you talk about an intercessor, Jesus. He came down. And he stood in the gap between us and God. And he went all the way to the cross. He died for us. He bled for us. He suffered for us. But bless God, after three days, things began to shake and the power of God raised him from the dead. And Paul says in Romans chapter 6 that when he was raised, we were raised. So he made that great act of intercession for us. And now, as joint heirs in Christ, we are called to be ministers 
of prayer on behalf of other people. To pray for others. And what a privilege it is to do it. But I'll tell you what, there's two enemies to your prayer life. The devil, that's a given, right? And your flesh. And your flesh likes your stuff. And your flesh likes to pray over your stuff. But what's the picture of a believer that's living life submitted to God, knowing that they're spirits, they have a soul or a mind, and they live in a physical body? This is a person where their spirits, their human spirits, are calling the shots in their life, and their body and their mind are simply along for the ride. Right? But what happens so often to all of us? So many times our flesh takes control of our life. Our mind takes control of our life. And all of a sudden we find that our life is being guided by our mind or it's being guided by this ungodly flesh that's in contact with this corrupt world down here. And it's right then we need to realize I need to get back over to spirit dominance. My spirit man. And you go over and you strengthen yourself. You pray in the Holy Ghost. You read the Word of God. You become strong in spirit again. Isn't that what God... I mean, we're believers here. Amen? Isn't that what He's called us to be? Is strong in the Lord and in the power of His might? Should we be living in a weakened condition? We should be living day by day in a strengthened position in God. So I like gadgets. I'm kind of geeky and I've been enjoying talking to Pastor Steve, Stephen about computers and we can get in our own zone right there. But what if Pastor Stephen and I could, could build a machine and this machine was, it was an arch. And when, when anybody walked through that machine, there'd be a readout on the laptop over in the corner And that laptop would indicate the level of spiritual strength of whoever's walking through there from one to ten. Right? So next Sunday, Pastor Stephen says, okay, next Sunday, everybody's going to walk under this when you come to church. Now, one of two things are going to happen. Either no one's going to show up. Or, and I prefer to think it would be the or, Everyone in this church that knows that when they come to church next Sunday, they're going to walk through this machine that's going to tell everybody in the church the level of their spiritual strength. What are you going to be doing for the next week? Tell me. Praying in the Spirit. You're going to be praying in tongues in your bathtub. Right? Talk to me. What else are you going to be doing? Reading the Word. Confessing the Word. Meditating. I love that one. Meditating the Word. Someone over here, help. What? Worship. Oh, yeah. Worshiping God. Here's my point. All of us, myself included, would do all of that. And by the way, we know what to do, don't we? 
It's not like we need to go to a seminar next week to find out how to get strong in the Lord because we know. Right? We would all be doing all of that because of the fear of man. Because we care what other people think about us. And I'm way off topic now, but that's okay. We're going to get back. Would you agree with me? We would be doing that out of the fear of man. What a higher level we could attain to if we would do it out of the fear of God. Because we know what to do. If we're in a weakened condition spiritually right now today, it's because we didn't do what we know to do. Sometimes we don't need to learn a bunch of new things. We just need to, to do what we know. Come on, I'm preaching to me. But you're relating to it. Because we all have this flesh. My point was two things are going to come against your prayer life. Your flesh and the devil. And the devil will use your flesh sometimes, but sometimes it's just our own stinking flesh. Ask me how I know that. We have to overcome. We have to get our lives back into a place of spirit dominance where our inner man, our spirit is calling the shots. This is how we're going to be effective prayers. You're not going to be a season in and season out effective prayer living your life in a weakened spiritual condition, asking everybody else to pray for you. Now, don't get me wrong. I I, want to qualify this. I believe in praying for other people. That's what we're talking about today. But the, the more mature we get in the Lord, the less we should be dependent on the prayers of others because we've learned how to feed ourselves and we've learned how to live in a strengthened position. Amen? So I better get on to the prayer of intercession, but we're talking about it. How many of you want to be a 10? You want to live in the place of 8, 9, 10 instead of 1, 2, 3. The Holy Ghost is your helper. He will help you. Oh, thank God. Thank God we can get stronger and stronger on the inside. I want to go through today, not in detail, but in, in, a, in a manner of just highlighting these things, this is the way that the Lord led me through this today. I want to look at examples in the Bible of people praying or interceding or standing in the gap for someone else. And of course, we start with Abraham. Abraham praying for Sodom and Gomorrah. I'd like you to turn to Genesis chapter 18, please. Say, I'm a 10. I believe it. It doesn't mean we're perfect. It means we're doing, doing what we know to do to live in a strengthened position. Hallelujah. Genesis 18, and look at verse 17. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? It's an interesting statement. Verse 20, And the Lord said, Because of the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave, 
I will go down and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me. And if not, I will know. Then the men turned away from there and went toward Sodom. But Abraham still stood before the Lord. Look at that phrase. He still stood before the Lord and Abraham came near. So just create this picture in your mind. Abraham stayed before the Lord when all the other men left. But then it also says that Abraham drew near. You talk about someone that had no sense of guilt or condemnation. He drew near to God and listen to what he said. He came near and said, would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there were 50 righteous within the city and you all, would you also destroy that place and not spare it for 50 righteous that were in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? So the Lord said, If I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, I will spare all the place for their sakes. Think about what's going on here. This is an interesting conversation between Abraham and God. Verse 28, Abraham gets a little more bold. Suppose there were five less than the 50 righteous. Would you destroy all of the city for lack of five? So God said, if I find there 45, I will not destroy it. And he spoke to him yet again and said, suppose there be 40 found there. And he said, I will not do it for the sake of 40. Then he said, Lord, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak. Suppose 30 should not be found there. So he said, I will not do it if I find 30 there. And for the sake of time, I'm just going to finish this story up. He went down to 20 and he went down to 10. And the Lord said, I will not destroy it if I find 10 righteous in that city. But we know the story, don't we? Abraham didn't go low enough. But I want you to take note of the process of Abraham standing in the gap, not only standing before the Lord, but drawing near to him and talking to him pretty plainly and interceding for the righteous people that were in that city. You guys, this is a beautiful picture of us as the body of Christ. As we stand in the gap and we look at our cities and we look at the lost, we look at the prostitutes, we look at the riots, we look at for all of these men and women and children that are suffering because they don't know God. And as believers, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit will move on us with divine compassion. I feel it right now. I feel it right now for a man I saw in the hotel yesterday. I was having my breakfast and it was raining just really hard outside. And I'm eating my food and a very distinguished gentleman walked up just dressed to the tee in a suit 
And I noticed them out of the corner of my eye. There was only one other couple in the, in the, in the hotel lobby. He walked up to this gentleman dressed much like Sean is with, with jeans and just, you know, not even a button-down shirt. And he said, could I possibly ask you to do me a favor? He said, if I give you $5, would you go out and get my car for me? I cannot get wet today. The man said, absolutely, you don't have to pay me. What are you doing today? He said, I'm going to a funeral. My 20-year-old son. And when that man walked by me, I felt him. I felt his grief. I felt his pain. And I feel it right now. I'm not in grief. I'm not in pain. Jesus is my Lord. I'm okay. But that man's not. And by the Spirit of God, I'm not. And I carried him all day yesterday. And I'm carrying him right now. Because God loves him. And his family. Oh, the Spirit of God. Sometimes we don't look for these things. We get blindsided by them, but God's doing a work. What am I doing for that man? I'm standing in the gap. I don't know anything about him. I just know he lost his son, and I can't imagine what that would be like. You guys, there's people hurting all over this city. Within a mile radius of right here, there's people hurting. There's people that are lost. There are marriages that are broken. There's husband and wives fighting. There's husbands beating their wives. I could speak just utter darkness and you'd know it's happening all around us. But God loves those people. And the Spirit of God will move on us to pray for them, F-O-R. It's a part of our calling. It's a part of the stamp of God, the DNA of God that's in our spirits to care. There's times I go to a store and someone, someone walks by and they're limping or they're in pain and I could tell their life has been totally disrupted by what's going on in their bodies. You get a heart for them. There's so many times Gina and I go through seasons in our own life and we got our own, you know, our marriage is 10 plus. I mean, it's just off the charts great. It isn't that. But just things going on in our life or our family and that we're holding up before God and we're praying for. And sometimes we just see some things. We look at each other and say, we have no problems. We have no problems. Right? The Holy Spirit lives in you. He is an intercessor. And I just love this picture of Abraham standing in the gap for the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. And we see this picture throughout the Bible. 
We see Moses interceding for the children of Israel. How many times did they groan and complain when God was trying to get them out of Egypt into the promised land? Moses would go and pray what? Help me, for them. He would pray for the children of Israel. He would stand before God and he would pray for them. We see Samuel praying for the children of Israel. and You don't have to turn there, but in First chapter... For Samuel chapter 7 and verse 8. So the children of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the, to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. And Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. Then Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. We see Daniel make an intercession for Jerusalem. In Dan- Can someone give me a Kleenex, please? Thank you, dear. I appreciate it. Here I am getting all messy on video. Praise the Lord forever. <laughs> But in Daniel chapter 9, Daniel made intercession and prayed for Jerusalem. And I wish we had the time to just read all of Daniel 9 and into Daniel chapter 10. But in Daniel 9.16, he said, O Lord, according to all your righteousness, I pray, let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city Jerusalem, your holy mountain, because of our sins, for the iniquities of our fathers Jerusalem and you... And your people are a reproach to all those around us. Now, therefore, our God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplications. And for the Lord's sake, cause your face to to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate. And we could read on. But you get a, a glimpse of the prayer that he's making for Jerusalem, God's city. He's standing in the gap. Elijah prayed for a dead boy in 1 Kings 17 and he was raised from the dead. Let's quickly look at some New Testament examples. You remember this one. Jesus prayed for Peter, Luke chapter 22 and verse 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you. (laughs) Wouldn't that be wonderful to hear from the lips of Jesus himself? I have prayed for you that what? That your faith should fail not. Oh, those are wonderful words. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. I bet Peter remembered that after he denied Jesus. He remembered that Jesus, the one that he denied, prayed for him. (laughs) Oh, what a picture of an intercessor. You remember John chapter 17. I'm going to go through these quickly, but I feel it's important to touch on them. Jesus prayed for his disciples. John chapter 17 and 9. I pray for them. F-O-R. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. I do not pray for 
these alone, but also for those who will believe on me through their word. And of course, we all remember Stephen as he was being stoned in Acts chapter 7. What's the last thing he did before he died? He prayed for those that were killing him. And they stoned Stephen in Acts 7.59. And he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. I mean, we see example after example. And of course, we look at the Apostle Paul. We got volumes to talk about which I won't take a great deal of time to do, but we know Paul's prayers. I prayed one of them opening up tonight. Ephesians chapter 1, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. He said in Ephesians 1, he said to the Ephesians, I've heard of your faith, I've heard of your love, but now I'm going to pray for you that you would receive the revelation. There's a message all by itself right there. He was always praying for the church. Paul knew something about the power of prayer, the power of his heart and his words being spoken on behalf of someone else. And let's talk about our flesh just for a moment here. And we can include the mind with it, right? Our flesh and our mind will say things like, It doesn't do any good. Praying for people doesn't do any good. How many of you have heard that lie? So therefore, we don't give place to it and we don't make time for it. But God wants all of us praying for, not only one another, but praying for the lost, praying for the sick, praying for leaders and nations. And I'm getting ahead of myself. Turn to Colossians chapter 4.12. Colossians 4.12 Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently, what? Say it. Be bold. Say it again. Always praying for you. Not praying for himself, I'm sure he was, but he said, always praying for you and always laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in all of the will of God. That's what was on his heart. You know, Epaphras could have prayed a hundred things for those people for their finances, for their body, for their children, for their church, for their future, their destiny, their calling, their gifts. But he was praying this, that they would stand whole and complete in all of the will of God. That tells me that God laid that burden of prayer on his heart, that in his lifetime he wanted to see those believers that he was praying for stand in that place. We're all different. We all have different personalities. We all have different preferences. Some might like worship loud. Some like it soft. 
Some like the teaching of the word, some like the preaching of the word. Some like teaching on prayer, some like teaching on events. Well, why is that? Because God made us all differently. None of those are right or wrong. It's just what you like. And it has a lot to do with how God made you. His stamp, his, his fingerprint that's on your spirit. It, the giftings he's put in you. One of the wonderful things I loved about my local church back in the 80s is we had, we started with like three prayer groups and by the time I left years later, there were over 100 prayer groups a week. And, and our leadership let the prayer leaders pray for the things that were on their hearts. And then they gathered people around them that prayed for those things. I mean, the people that really had a heart to pray for evangelism, they had a prayer group to go to. And I realize not every church can do that. This was, you know, a large number church. But I'm just saying I liked the concept because there's something about not making cookie cutters and pray and make all of us pray the same way, pray about the same thing, the same kind, our tongue sound. No, 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 no. God made you the way he made you. And you're unique. And there's a gift in you. There's something so precious in you that Jesus spilled his blood for it. And we should value it. What's in us? We should treasure it. We should guard and protect it. We should develop it. Amen? And many times we forget about that which is put in our own hearts. But I, I love what Epaphras was doing here. He was just praying this one thing according to Paul, that they would stand whole and complete in all the will of God. Now, so many times when we see the prayers of Paul or we see Epaphras praying here, we, it beckons the question, why? Paul, why would you have to pray for the church at Ephesus to receive a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him? What's all this about, God? Because you want it to happen. You're the sovereign God of all the earth. Why doesn't it just happen? Well, I don't know about you, but I found out after 30 years walking with God, things don't just happen down here in the earth. <laughs> And there's some things that will never happen without them being prayed out ahead of time. I love the story of Charles Finney. And there was a dear little man named Father Nash. And Father Nash would go ahead of Charles Finney and he would find himself a little room somewhere and he'd lock himself up in it and he'd pray. And he'd pray for the souls of that city. Actually, when we lived in Syracuse, we, my wife wanted a Yorkshire Terrier. Gracie, that big, this dog runs our life. <laughs> so we drove up to Lowville, New York. Did I say that right? Lowville, Lowville. And we found a breeder there and we found our little Gracie. And I found out later that that's where Father Nash is buried. I believe I read that correctly. But he would go ahead of Charles Finney and he would pray. And he would pray for the lost of that city. And, and so many times the, the innkeepers where Father Nash was staying, they, they'd call Finney and say, something's wrong. He hasn't come down for three days for food. And Finney, oh, that's okay. He's just caught up in a spirit of prayer. And, you know, we look at the success of different ministers and ministries over the years. But I think if we could see it through the lens of God, God would see a lot of the people that preceded them in prayer and prayed over that area even decades before they came on the scene. 
I remember Billy Brim telling the story one time about was a grandpa, grandma and grandpa Pickard. Yep, I couldn't remember the name. But they ended up praying on, on country property. Tell me if I get this wrong. They ended up going to this one place in the country and they would pray and pray and pray and pray. And to make a long story short, they prayed about the gospel going out to the nations on that spot. And you know what's on that spot today? Kenneth Hagin Ministries. And decades ago, they were praying out in the country over that piece of land. You see, so many times the things that are happening right now are as a result of things that were prayed about and prayed through years earlier. I remember my own pastor, Pastor Mac Hammond, telling the story of when he met Philip Halverson in the Secrets of Intercession meetings in 1983 in Los Angeles. And Philip Halverson was a praying man from St. Paul, Minnesota, 100% Norwegian. If you ever hear him, you know this is a Norwegian man. I never met him. He died, you know, about the same time I got hungry for God and went on to glory. But Pastor Mac said, the first time I saw Philip Helverson, we sat across the table, and I introduced myself to Philip, and he said, what's your name? Um, Mac Hammond. Hammond. And this is a man that would pray similar to what Gina was describing her experience before 9-11. He spent a lot of time in prayer and intercession. He said, I've been praying that name Hammond for years. And it was right about that time they pioneered that church in Brooklyn Park, Minnesota, which is still there today, blessing that city. But here's Brother Halverson in his prayer closet praying Hammond. And this is what Brother Halverson said. I thought I was praying about Hammond, Indiana. <laughs> but he wasn't. He was praying about a businessman that was a former Vietnam pilot. That when he got out of the military, he started his own air freight business with his father. And they had a fleet of 727s. But here's little Philip over here praying Hammond. And God brought him out of that business and placed him into the ministry as a pastor. Now, I often wonder myself to what depth or to what degree that would have happened without Brother Halverson praying. I don't know the answer to that, but I can draw some conclusions because that man knew how to get with God and pray. <laughs> Glory to God. So this main point I want to get across to you today is our mission and calling to pray for other people. And you say, well, okay, I understand that I should do that. But how do I do that? And I want to answer that question partly today by reading something Brother Hagen said in one of his prayer seminars back in the 80s. And really, this is what my whole message this afternoon grew out of this. I just kind of put skin on the bones around it. But this is where the Lord first started dealing with me about this afternoon's message. And Brother Hagen, back in the 80s, would run seminars from Sunday to Sunday. They'd start Sunday night, Monday morning, Monday night, Tuesday morning, Tuesday night, all the way through to the following Sunday night. 
So this is the very last uh, message in a week-long seminar. It's, it's the second Sunday night. And he began to say this, the art of intercession has been lost in the church. Early day Pentecostals knew something about it. Second generation Pentecostals knew a little about it. Let me just stop right here. And I know many of you know this, but in case you don't, the Pentecostal movement came to this country right after the turn of the century in the 1900s. Early 19, it started in Topeka, Kansas, and it spread to Azusa Street in Los Angeles. And that's where the baptism of the Holy Ghost really was, was birthed and launched in this country. So when he says first, when he's speaking about first generation Pentecostals, he's talking about that generation right there, starting around 1900, 1903, right in there, moving forward a generation. He said they knew something about it. Second gener- generation Pentecostals knew little about it. Third generation Pentecostals know nothing about it at all. Charismatics know very little about it. But listen to this. But for God to accomplish what he desires to accomplish in the 80s, the art of intercessory prayer will have to be resurrected. Now, if that's true for the 80s, my friends, how much more right now? Just out of experience, I don't know everything. I don't know a lot of things, but I've seen some things. And I've seen ministries raised up with a spirit of prayer, and I've seen ministries fall. And I believe the enemy comes against those ministries with such a vengeance. And I don't believe the devil comes out with a one-month strategy and plan. I believe he comes out with a five- or ten-year plan to take out a church. And when I say take it out, it may not be entirely gone, but the force and the spiritual uh, power behind it has been greatly diminished. I've seen this not just for one, two, but more than, more than one, more than two churches. And you say, well, of course, the devil hates prayer. He hates effective prayer. He hates intercession. But how much more is this true today? But for God to accomplish what he desires to accomplish in the 80s, the art of intercessory prayer will have to be resurrected. And he's talking about these generations of people that either don't know about it or know very little about it. Now, the Holy Spirit is the greatest teacher in the earth. And he knows how to get things across to us. Let me read on. Brother Hagen said, and I love this part. It seems to me that each person will have to decide from experience and prayer how God is using them. I know how he uses me. I know how to get into that place of prayer. Listen to this. And when I'm there, I'm very, very effective. I love that. This is a man that I believe knew God, obviously, knew the spirit of God, had visions of Jesus himself, had visitations, was a prophet in our time. But he's talking about his own individual prayer life. 
And he said, I know how he uses me. And I know how to get into that place of prayer. And when I am there, I'm very, very effective. Now, if you were the devil, you're not. (laughs) But if you were, wouldn't you fight any believer that learns how to get into that place and to be very, very effective in prayer? Yeah. So that person that has discovered that over his lifetime, praying, praying, you know, there were seasons of his life he would spend all afternoon praying because he was a pastor of a small town and he had the luxury of the time to do it. So this is a man that found out how the Spirit of God uses him, how to get in the Spirit, and really that's the key. How did you say it last night? Um, Praying with the awareness of of the spirit realm. More aware of that than the natural. Praying with an awareness of the spirit realm. He went on to say this. Now there is one thing or one common element in these burdens the spirit of God gives us. I'm sorry, I have to back up and finish the last paragraph. He went on to say, you'll have to find out for yourself. He may use you a little differently but there will be something kindred about it with all of us. Now, there is one common element in these burdens. It is so important that I want to repeat it. There is one common element in these burdens. It is the cry of the Spirit. When I was talking about that man from yesterday, it was the cry of the Spirit in my heart for him. It is the cry of the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, for someone to be delivered or someone to be protected. We could talk about experience after experience along that line in our own individual lives. But if you stop and think about the awesomeness of this and listen to this, the responsibility of it, I'm sure of this one thing. That some of us, not many of us, but some of us have have gotten over into the edge of the supernatural where really we ought to be over in the middle of it. That's so important. I want to read it again. And please bear with me. We're not going to be here till five, but I want you to get this today. But some of us have gotten over into the edge of the supernatural where really we ought to be over in the middle of it. But I am well satisfied in these last days that if we're to do what God wants us to do, if we accomplish the work that must be done, we must not only get into the edge of the supernatural, but we're going to have to wait on out in it, bless God, until we get into the waters that are deep, praise God, to swim in. And you're not going to get there by sitting around and twiddling your thumbs or wishing I could get there. You're going to get there by being, excuse me, you're not going to get there by being complacent and satisfied with where you are now. You're going to win these things and get there by soul travail and intercessory prayer. Does that make sense? Does that touch your heart the way I did when I touched my heart when I read it? 
You're going to win these things and get there by soul travail and intercessory prayer. On other occasions, I'd he- I heard Brother Hagen say one time when he was teaching on prayer, the way to win your city for God is through the divine tools of compassion and soul travail. And he would talk about the love of God being shed abroad in our heart and the compassion of God in our spirits, in our hearts, for the lost in our city. Through the love of God that's in your spirit, do you, do you love the people that live with a, within a one-mile radius that you don't even know? Of course you do, because the Spirit of God knows them. A five-mile radius, 20-mile radius. God knows all these people. He knows all of these people that are hurting. Brother Hagen went on to say, we must be fervent in our intercessory prayers to be effective. Effective intercession not only involves fervency, but effective intercession involves desire. I'm going to tell one more of his stories. I'm going to tell quickly my story because the Lord instructed me to do it today and then we're going to close. So if you give me another 10, 15 minutes. Brother Hagen talked about a period of his, of his life in 1942 and 1943. This was right in the same message. He said, I've been praying for the church during the war, 1942 and 43. I was so burdened about some things and praying along some lines, we, saw, we hardly saw any manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit. I began to pray for the power gifts of the Spirit night after night. Night after night. Some nights I didn't even remember getting up out of bed, but I found myself in the living room praying and interceding before God to see the power gifts manifested in the church. The gifts of healing, special faith, working of miracles. Night after night, 1942-1943, I prayed for these things. One day I prayed five hours and 45 minutes. At the end of that prayer time, The Lord spoke to me and said, at the end of World War II, there will come a revival of divine healing to America. This was over two years before the war ended in 1945. The revival of divine healing started in 1947. That didn't didn't come because somebody prayed the week before the healing revival started. Where did that desire and burden come from? We have to will to respond to the, re- to the promptings of the Spirit of God. The Holy Ghost leads and guides. Let's resolve that we are going to respond to the Spirit of God. We live too much in the mental realm. And he finished with this. What, what's happening in revival and the move of the Spirit of God doesn't come as a result of someone praying yesterday or even last week. It's the result of intercession of yesteryear. Sometimes we live in this microwave society. We want to see instant results. And something comes on our heart to pray and we start praying over that and we don't see the results of it after a month or two months or three months. What happens if we're just fleshly ruled? We give up. But Brother Hagen said these prayer burdens, the cry of the Spirit, whatever it is in your heart, 
the prayer burden that will come in your heart, something, a desire in you. Epaphras headed to see people stand whole and complete in all of the will of God. I've got certain things in my heart. If I don't see happen before I'm out of here, I'd rather just die now. Yeah. There's some things in me God has put in me to see in the body of Christ that he's probably not put in anybody else. But I want to see a restoration of true worship and praise. Come back in the body like we haven't seen in a long time and perhaps have never seen. There is a true place of worship and praise. But that's my burden. It's not yours. I want to close today by telling you my story. How this little green behind the ears Bible school student in 1985 fresh out of a denominational church I'd been baptized in the Holy Ghost for maybe six months before I found myself sitting in Bible school preparing for ministry. And while I was going to school my first year, my Bible school had two, two years, and we'd have morning classes and we'd have prayer school in the afternoon and healing school in the afternoon, and it was optional. Say optional. <laughs> so I didn't go. I went to the classes in the morning, and I'd go do something else in the afternoon. And I moved to Minneapolis for the summer between my two years. I was packing my clothes up to go back to school for my second year of school. And I I remember like it was yesterday, I picked up some clothes to put in my suitcase. I leaned over and the Spirit of God spoke to me. To this day, I don't know if it was audible, probably not. But in my spirit, I heard these words as crystal clear, clarion word. Prayer school is no longer an option for you. Yes, sir. I went back to school my second year, go to morning classes, have lunch. I'm in prayer school. I may have missed five all year long. Why? Because God said. This was his instruction to me. I was in there. I felt so out of place. I didn't understand what was going on. I thought these people were crazy. Seriously. It's like, really? I was just straight out of denominational church. But you know what? My buddy and I, we were roommates at school. Still best friends today. (laughs) We'd walk home from school and say, what happened today? I don't know. I don't have a clue what those people were doing. (laughs) But we began saying this. The spirit of it's getting in us. We'd say that. The spirit of it's getting in us. We didn't understand it with our heads. And I'll try and make this brief today because I want to let you go as well. But there are certain things I want to communicate with you. So the day I graduated from Bible school, I put the tassel from one side to the other. Something clicked in my spirit. I heard the word of the Lord again. He said, study prayer. Clear as a bell, study prayer. The next day I went to the ministry. I bought everything available on prayer at that time in the 80s on cassette. And he also told me where to go to church, and I went to that church in Minneapolis. And I I had a day job. I'd come home from the day job. I'd get cleaned up from the day job. I'd sit down with my little Walkman, my cassette player. I would listen to one tape on prayer every day after work. I was doing what the Lord told me to do. My church had a lending library on prayer. I gathered up a bunch of those cassettes. I went through them. I still have the notes today. I would sit there and listen with my headphones on, 
what was I doing? I was studying prayer. One day I went to church. Our church was about 1,200 members at that time, if I remember correctly, 1987. And the Lord, I, I opened the church bulletin. There were three prayer groups. And Lord said, Monday night is your prayer group. I said, yes, sir. So I, here I come Monday night. I go up to the prayer room. I open the door. There's six women sitting in a circle in the prayer room. <laughs> yes, sir. This is my prayer group. I went in and sat on the floor with the women. Love those women to this day. Dear friends. We were sitting there for about five minutes and in walked Lynn Hammond. She was the prayer leader. And you may not know who she is, but Gina mentioned her. She's our mentor in prayer. She's written a wonderful book, more than one. One of them is called The Master is Calling by Lynn Hammond, L-Y-N-N-E-H-A-M-M-O-N-D, just like it sounds. The Master is Calling, wonderful book. But she had been mentored by Brother Halverson in prayer which is another story in itself. And I sat there that night and these ladies began to pray and I felt like a fish out of water, truly. They went places I'd never even conceived of in prayer. They weren't flaky, please understand. This, is, this was the real deal. I left that prayer group and I said, Lord, I'm not going back. I don't want to pray at those ladies anymore. <laughs> he said, you're going back. Week after week, month after month, that prayer group had one purpose, to pray for lost souls, the lost souls of our city. And we had evangelism teams that went out. We'd bus people out to various parts of the city. And in the beginning years, they would spend all night and maybe get one person saved. I ended up praying in that group for six years, every Monday night, same ladies, maybe one or two changed. And I'll tell you, Intercession for lost souls got in my spirit by association. And I learned how to pray for the lost. And within a year, when Lynn would go out of town, she asked me to lead that prayer meeting. And many nights I led it and was delighted to do so. And earlier I said, well, how do, how do we do this? We know we're supposed to pray for the lost, but how do we do it? I learned. You see... When the Lord said to me, study prayer, it was important for me to get the prayer doctrine in me. And studying prayer just doesn't mean studying scriptures about prayer. It's the whole counsel of God, really. And the people that were teaching me prayer, they were wonderful. Brother Hagen's one of them. They taught me about prayer. They taught me the different kinds of prayer. They taught me the prayer doctrine. And like Gina said this morning, if you don't have that, you're going to get flaky somewhere. But what I'm saying now is I took what I learned from all of that time studying the word of God about prayer. And now I was praying with people that knew how to pray. And I learned how to pray on the job, so to speak, through association. And I loved it. And about a, two years in, I started my own prayer group. We prayed for the ministry, yes. We prayed for apostles, prophets, pastors, uh, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And we'd pray for other things, you understand. But 
many times we were just praying like one person would be on our heart when we'd come in that day. And many times we wouldn't end up praying for that person because the Spirit would take us somewhere else. But it's following the Holy Spirit in prayer. And Gina talked about the door yesterday being Jesus and how she speaks about the blood of Jesus every time. And I'll I'll tell you, in all of those meetings that I went to, we did very similar things. We'd talk about the redemption of the Lord Jesus Christ. We'd talk about who he was and who he was to us. And another element we added on was was worship. So many times we would worship for 10, 20 minutes, the six of us, just with our voices, nothing else. And, And worship helped us to connect with the Spirit of God. And then we would start praying in the Spirit. You see, so many times, and I've done this in my former life, you guys, I'd come into prayer meetings and just take off praying in tongues. Just take off, just take off. But there was no connection to the realm of God. There was no vertical connection. And what I learned in that small prayer group over the years was how to connect with God in a consistent manner week after week, month after month. And for me to this day, one of those things that helps me connect is worship. It could be an old chorus, whatever the Spirit of God leads. And I'll tell you, if you get if you get prayer doctrine solidly in you, and we don't have to be perfect ever to pray. Please understand this. We're talking about a process here today. And all of us are on a journey from A to the time we're out of here. And all along the way, we pray on whatever level we're at. But it's the will and the desire of the Lord that we, we become more and more acquainted with his voice able to hear him, to know his voice, and the voice of the enemy we will not follow. Oh, glory to God. Okay, the clock's biting me. Just a minute. So praise the Lord. I wanted to tell you that I've got way more to talk about, but bless God, I get to come back tomorrow morning. And I don't want to keep you here all day, but I want you to take this home with you. The art of praying for other people, to be aware for pray, about praying for others. You can do it by yourself. You can do it with one other person. You can do it with a group of people that meets consistently. Any of those ways work. You can do it corporately. It's a whole other kind of prayer, corporate, corporate, all church united prayer. But what, what Brother Hagen said, the cry of the Spirit is that thing we look for. Now, we can start out with petitions and supplications and all these things which are wonderful and right and effective in themselves. But we need to move over into the kind of prayer where we're led by the Spirit of God, not only in what to pray for, but to be aware of his presence to empower us to pray all the way through. The old-timers had this saying, to pray through. They prayed through until the burden lifted. I wish we had about six more hours today, but for the sake of your behind and <laughs> and all, we want to start closing this down. I know Gina has something she I wants to say. Thank you. That's why I have my wife. 
When I went to Bible school, there was an elderly couple from Minneapolis, Frank and Irene Lindquist, who founded the Assembly of God Bible School. They came to our Bible school one time. He's a very quiet, reserved man. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. She goes, tell him about this. (laughs) Tell him about this. As time went on, I saw the effects of praying for souls in my own city. And where we were getting one saved by the teens in the early years, then it was five, then it was ten. By the time I I, um, moved to another state when we got married, by the time I left, our church was getting thousands of people saved every week on the streets. And I believe a lot of it was because people in our body, and I'm sure other churches, no doubt, were praying for the souls of that city. And Hennepin Avenue is the main avenue in downtown Minneapolis. And when I first moved there in the 80s, it was like there was this cold feeling when you walked downtown. And by the time I left, there was like this lightness that had come upon our city. And I believe it was as the result of the prayers of the saints. And I believe what Brother Hagen said, the art of intercession needs to be resurrected in places where it has died. (laughs) So we're going to do like the prophet Isaiah. Here I am, Lord, send me. Use me in prayer. Let me be a vessel to be used by you. Move on me. Put a burden on me. Put someone on my heart. If you see someone walking down the street, you can begin lifting them up. Whenever I see an ambulance go by many times, I start praying for that person that's being taken. It's just just developing a mindset that it's not all about us. And the more you make it about them, the stuff about your own life just gets taken care of, bless God. Hallelujah. Well, Father, we thank you for our time together. We thank you for the word that, that you gave to me. Father, I trust that I communicated it in such a way that, that you're pleased, Lord. And Father, I just pray over these dear saints, and I thank you for the steadfastness of the Spirit of God in their hearts. I thank you, Father. I call them finishers once again. And I thank you that they are finishing the course that you have set them on in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Thank you for staying with me a little extra this afternoon. I had no idea what time it was. I really didn't. But you, please don't be mad at me. <laughs> Pastor Stephen, is there anything you need to do or talk about tomorrow?